like I said, to Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, continuing through our study. And um, you come to passages, scriptures like this, and and, and one saying you can be... You can be frustrated with what you read and just looking at the children of Israel and the repeated struggles that they had. Or you can, you can look at it and go, man, I'm sure glad God is gracious and long-suffering with them because we're just like these guys. You know, um, uh, if you sinned this week, and if you've, you've rebelled against God this week, if you've done things that you've not wanted to do, then, man, you, we're just like, you're, you're like me, and you're like the, the, the children of Israel that's written about here. It's like, we, we take a, it, we have some pretty hard heads, you know? We can be pretty stubborn, and, and the lessons that God wants to teach us, and the, the growth that He wants us to experience, and the character that He wants to develop in us, it, it, it takes time, and it's just like raising your own kids. If you guys have kids, you know, you wish, you wish you could just tell them one time, and then they would get it, and they would never, never uh, disobey you ever again. But I've never experienced that with any of my kids ever once. Um, uh, Molly's probably the closest to that. Just kidding. Yeah, she's practically perfect in every way. Um, but you read through this with the, this this chapter, and you, we read some, some similar things that we've read in the past, and you just kind of just want to go, oh, you're shaking your head, and you're going, will they ever get it? But you know what? I think often about myself like that. You know, will I get it? Will I get it? Will I get it? And and I have grown, and and the Lord's changed me, and you guys have grown, and the Lord's changed you as well as as you've submitted your lives to Him, and um, as we continue to do so. So there's a hopeful message here when we see God's response. Um, to to this this repeated um, problem that the children of Israel have and the thing they face. So let's read it together and pray, and then we'll begin to um, we'll begin to talk about it. it. Says in verse one, it says, "Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, also the Sinai wilderness. Same thing, according to the commandment of the Lord." Encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses, and we see really a an escalation here uh, from from previous uh, test or trial that they were through, and how they related to Moses. But it says this time that therefore the people contended with Moses. We know previously that it was just some complaining and some murmuring. Uh, but, but now we see some aggressive nature on their part in this time. Um, they contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And again, he was redirecting them to the fact that, that, that you know, this, is what, this was God's doing. This is where God had led them. And the people, it says in verse 3, thirsted there for water, And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. So in other words, leave these people behind, these murmuring, complaining, contentious people. Take some of the elders and go ahead of them. 
Take them with you. Also, verse 5, take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and so they called the name of that place Masaha and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And we talked about that a little bit last week. It's the same question that we, talk, we saw David answer and others like Job where, where you believe, where you make these statements and you go, God, why? Why am I going through this? Have you forsaken me? Do you not see what's going on in my life? And it's the same, same question, just different wordage here. So in verse 8, we read on, still here in this place, it says, now Amalek, this is a nation, it's a group of people, a leader, a king. He came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. And I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was. When Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so that they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So... Verse 13, so that Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And Lord, as we study your word now, um, I pray and ask God that it would be your Holy Spirit that is teaching us, that it wouldn't be my word, um, not my opinions, not my, my thoughts, Lord, but, but yours, um, that it would be truth, and that it would go forth and do the work that it's um, intended to do, God, that it would um, meet each of us right where we're at. We know that your word is truth, and we, God, we believe that it's been breathed forth by you, and that has the ability to reach into our lives individually and personally and meet us right where we're at in the own trials that we're in, in the own testing that, that you're putting us through, and, the, and in the, the battles that we're going through. And maybe, it's, maybe it's a struggle with a relationship, maybe it's a financial concern. Um, Lord, maybe it's a, a problem with the neighbor or co-worker. Uh, lots of things, God. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's we've lost a loved one. And, and Lord, this life is full of, 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 of circumstances and situations, God, that bring forth um, heartache and, and, and struggle. Um, Lord, but we know that you're greater than all of these things and that through all of these things, you're making yourself known to us. 
and you're doing a good work in us so that you might do a good work through us. And Lord, we desire this this morning again. So we say, teach us by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, and as we go through these scriptures and through these verses, I want to point out that in light of what we read here, and I already alluded it to a little bit, and Moses, in speaking with the children of Israel, as he's contending back with them, he, he even mentions it and saying, you know, why, why are you contending with me? You know, it's, it's really the Lord that you need to be dealing with. And we see this as we remember that the children of Israel, that they, it says that in verse 1 that they set out, on this next leg of their journey. And they had been delivered out of Egypt um, miraculously by the hand of God through the ten plagues that had come. Um, um, we know that they had even passed through the, the Red Sea on dry land. All these awesome, wonderful things. And God was guiding them and leading them. And he was taking them to the land of Canaan, to the land that had been first promised to them through Abraham. And then again to Isaac and then Jacob. And we know that they went into Egypt as a family, uh, 70-some people, and now God had brought them out, numbering somewhere around 2 million, 400 years later. And um, historically, that's accurate, um, and uh, uh, the Bible depicts that picture for us uh, with, with, with great accuracy. And as we, we see this, this, this continued journey now through the wilderness to the land of Canaan, we know last week that they had entered into, from the wilderness of Shur into the wilderness of the Sinai, a different wilderness, uh, specifically where Mount Sinai was at. And um, they had moved these ways and in these directions. And some of your Bibles, if you have a study Bible, has an actual map. You can look and see where it says the route um, that the children of Israel took uh, during their exodus. And it's, it's, it's good to see these graphic things and see a ge geographical picture of what took place. But as they led, remember, they weren't just wandering aimlessly, nor was it Moses that was the one that was leading them. It was God himself. And he was leading them in this direction, through these particular places, and into these particular situations, uh, through a pillar that was before them. It was a cloud by day, and it served the purpose of offering them shade and, 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 and again, protection, but also that same pillar of, manifested as a fire by night. And this pillar, as it moved, we're told the people followed, and we see that ultimately that God, as he is, is in our lives, that God was the one that was leading them, and God leads us as we follow after him. And in this chapter, we see that he was directing Israel, uh, and be mindful of this, that he was directing Israel into these difficult and trying situations. And, and, and I think we want to dismiss these truths in our own lives when we enter into a difficult or trying situation as if somehow God has not been the one that's allowed for it or brought us into these sets of circumstances and these particular situations. And sometimes it is a result of our own sins that we've got ourselves into, into times of trouble, but even in those situations, no matter what's God-led or if it's a result of our own foolish nature, the uh, Bible tells us that God's doing the same thing that for us that he's doing here for the children of Israel, that there's a purpose for it. There's a reason for it, a good purpose, a godly purpose. And in this situation, God was doing these things, and he was leading them into these places, both where there was a trial, uh, again, with water, and, and then a battle with this enemy nation in order to prove, first of all, his power, and because as God proved himself to them, in each one of these circumstances, they would come to know God more. Back to that relationship thing. You know, God saved us, and he just didn't send us on our way and said, I'll be back at some point for you. He journeys with us, and Jesus Christ, is when he was 
being preparing to be crucified and, and to ascend into heaven and all those things when he was leaving his disciples, he told them, you know, I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you an orphan. He says, as a matter of fact, it's better that I leave you because when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent, the guide, the helper, the comforter, one who goes with us, just like we see here with this cloud by day and this pillar by night. And, and in doing so, as God manifests himself to the children of Israel and God manifests himself to us in our own lives as God leads us and God directs us, um, we see that there's a building of faith, a building of character. And that's what God is doing for the children of Israel. He's making himself known to them through these circumstances, these situations that he's leading them into. He's building their character and he's building their faith. And when we understand this to be true in regard to our own lives, we should come to the realization this is so important because as, as Christians, we can, we can lose sight of this because it's, it's, it's easy in this difficult world that we live in to just go, I, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to go to heaven. And I'm, I'm all for that. If it happens today, let it be. I'm, I, I'm ready. I, I mean, I don't want to go without my family. I don't want to leave them behind in a distressful situation. But uh, the destination is an awesome thing. But we have to realize when we see that God's in control and God's making himself known to us and he's doing a work in us, we have to see that our own journey of faith that we've entered into as we've decided to follow after Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, it involves much more than simply reaching a destination. You know, I get the opportunity to, I've had the opportunity to do some traveling and I've gone to some pretty cool places. You know, this Past, last past year, we got to go see our son in Korea, and then we went to China, and um, uh, we've been um, in, I've done some missions work in Uganda, and um, that flight to Uganda is a, you're 23 hours on a plane, just, that's in the air, not including all your layovers and everything else, and the five hours once you land in, in Entebbe to drive to, 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 to Jinja through Kampala, and I mean, it's, it is it's trying to say the least. But what I've come to learn is I've come to learn to enjoy the journey. Because if not, if you just focus on the destination, you miss out on so much of the process, what you see and what you take in and, and the people you meet and, 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 and the work that takes place through the journey. In, in, in every situation, you know, some of the things that Autumn and I remember, even from our time going to China, as we were talking about it a little bit last night, isn't just what we did when we were in China, but the, the experience of getting there. And, and the, the man who we hired to, to kind of take us around, a, a man by the name of Henry, that wasn't his Chinese name, but that would, I probably couldn't pronounce it very well, so he just said, call him Henry. But we remember Henry and the, and, and the time that we got to see and spend with him even as the journey. And that was part of the trip. It just wasn't about the destination. And there's a work that goes on in that. And, and, and for us, this journey of faith, guys, is much more than just reaching a destination. It also involves a process. The Bible says it's a process of sanctification. Just not a destination, but a process of sanctification, which, is, which simply means that God... Where, where this process of sanctification is where, where our faith and our godly character is being built up by the power of God as it's manifested in our lives and around us and in us and the knowledge of God that we come to receive as a result of that. And it's, that, that it's, it's, the, it's, it's a knowledge that comes from not just reading about him in a book. 
It's that epigenosis is the Greek word there, and it's, it's, it's a knowledge through experience. And there's no greater knowledge but than to experience it. And to experience God personally and individually and intimately is, 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 an, is an experience that surpasses anything else. So therefore, if, we're, if, we, if we understand that, that this journey of faith is, is, is simply more than reaching a destination, we have to understand then that if we're not growing in faith, if we're not growing in our knowledge of God and growing also in godly character, we're wasting these God-given opportunities that we're being led into, and literally we're not making good use of the time that we've been given. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, he warns about this and he says, See then that you walk carefully. See then that you journey carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. How so? He said, by redeeming the time. Are you redeeming the time? Redeeming the time, why? He says, because the days are evil. In other words, time short is what Paul writes. And even more so now than when Paul was alive. The time is short. We're, we're living in these days when we look around and we go, how can it continue to get any worse? How can it continue to get any darker? You know, we've had the opportunity this, this past weekend to work again at the bridge on Friday night. And when you work with the youth in our community and you begin to see some of the struggles that they face, some of the homes that they're in, some of the problems that they're enduring as the youth in our community right here in Canyon City. One of the things that I, that I, we even talked about it in our men's group, and Dale brought it up as there was this special on focus on the family about sex trafficking that goes on in our society today. Guys, that's an, that's an active part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but there's, um, there's, there's, I don't want to use the word ring, like there's a ring of it, but there's, there's active prostitution in Canyon City. And a lot of these moms who are addicted to drugs that are, that, that, um, uh, are, are prostituting themselves have kids that go to the bridge that we get to minister, that we get to love to. And I think as, as, as we get, we as human beings, as human nature, we live in our own paradigm and it's hard for us to see into other people's lives because our lives don't always cross and interact. My wife was visiting with a lady on Main Street downtown, and she has an in into some of these ladies' lives who are prostituting themselves here in our little town of Canyon City. And she says she, they, they come in regularly because they, they use some of the services that she has. It's not, a, a, not in any kind of, it's just there's a store down there that they all go into, and she, she gets to talk to them. And, and um, anyway, I, 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 you begin to see, I point this out because you begin to see what's going on in our culture. You begin to see what's taking place and the challenges that are facing and the time that we're living in. And, and we need to be, as Paul says, we need to be wise. We need to be redeeming the time. We need to not wasting the opportunities that God's given us. Not only because Jesus is coming back, but because there's people who are hurting and that which we've received, we need to deliver to them. They need hope. You guys know, most of you know my story, my, my testimony, that I, there was a time of my life for a long period of time where I was fully immersed into the world's ways through drugs and alcohol and addiction and in, in and out of jail, in and out of treatment centers, living on the streets and, and having no hope. 
The suicide at time thought felt as if it was the only option. And yet God changed my life. He redeemed me. He restored to me all of those years that had been wasted away. And he continues to do so. And I'm not the guy that I used to be. I'm a new creation in him. And you guys are too. But there are still people out there who don't understand that that hope, that same opportunity, that same gift is waiting for them. And so, so it's not about just the destination. It's about the journey. It's about the people who we come in contact with, the people that, that enter into our lives and the people whose lives we enter into. And so part of that is, is a challenge is to get out from your own paradigm. Quit walking in these places of comfort always. Step into a new thing. One of the things that Autumn shared, I don't remember where she shared it at, but you know, there's uh, uh, one of the meetings we had, but there's a, an associate pastor in um, Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel who, who says, shares the same past that, similar to what I came out of. And one of the things that he says, because you can get, you can kind of be insulated by the life that you live and become numb or disconnected with what's really going on in the world. And, and, and let me tell you, you're watching, you're watching CNN or Fox News or any of those kinds of things. That, that, that puts forth a certain sense about what's going on, but that's nothing compared to walking with people and seeing where they're really at. As a matter of fact, if you're only getting it from the news, that can really cause just a critical and judgmental spirit. But when you're walking with somebody, there's empathy and sympathy and compassion that's the real thing. But he's, he's, his name's Sean Rafferty, and one of the things that he shared is, is that he says every once in a while, he'll just go and stay in one of the homeless shelters. He'll leave his wife and his kids at home, and he'll go and stay in one of the homeless shelters just to remember what it was like, but also to connect with people and see that there's still people out there that are hurting or suffering. And, and, and it reminds him not only of where he came from, but of what these people need. Redeeming the time. So as we look at our text here um, and, and begin to go through it and understand there's, there's a journey that God's got us on, when we look at verse 1 and begin to break this down, we see the whole congregation, okay? It says, in accordance to God's command, again, God in control, God leading, in accordance to God's command, they had traveled and they set out and they set camp in this place called Rephidim. And in Numbers chapter 33, which is a correlating passage of Scripture, it tells us that Rephidim was really the third place in the Sinai wilderness that the children of Israel had stopped and set up camp. And, and it gives a more detailed account of the, the travel that they were on, and you can go and look at it. Um, but the reason only Rephidim is mentioned here is because of the significant thing that took place, the notable thing that took place. And in Numbers chapter 33, it says that after they had left Marah, the place where the water had been changed, the bitter water had been changed into sweet water. It says they first came to a place called Dofka, and then they went on to a camp called Alosh before stopping here at Rephidim. And then and if you turn over, you can look in Exodus chapter 19. It says that Rephidim is the last place that they would stop, the last place that they would camp before they would go and set up camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. And you know that's where they would have this, this personal encounter with God. And Moses would go up and he'd come down with the Ten Commandments. And, and God said, you know what, I'll make a deal with you. You be my, my people and I will be your God. And, and, and that's where we're going here in the next couple weeks. Now, the only distinguishing factor between these three different campsites that Exodus or Numbers chapter 33 tells us about is that here in this camp in Rephidim, there, that there was, there was um, no water. 
That's the only distinguishing difference between the other two. And this one, that there was no water for the people to drink. Not even bitter water, as is, is what they had before. No water that could be um, made sweet. No water at all. Consequently, the children of Israel once again revealed to us their lack of faith. And once again, because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief, they reacted in an ungodly way, and it's clear that they still had a long way to go on their journey of faith, just like we do. We have a long ways to go. And, and, and we see this considering that up to this point, every new trial that we've read about that, that they had experienced, every trial that they had experienced, it only brought out the worst in them. However, when we understand that God was using these experiences to prove his power, like we've talked about, in order to build up their faith and to build up their character, uh, to create a godly character in them, to refine them, to sanctify them, it makes sense that they were once again now where they found themselves in this place where there was no water to drink. Because you know what this was? this was? This was the teacher going, okay, everybody failed the test last week. We're going to take the same test over tomorrow and everybody who had got bad grades except for that one kid who got who actually studied and did their work right they're like yes we get to redo it and um and and we don't always feel that about our own lives <laughs> it's like i don't want to be back here in the same place but but it's an act of god's grace it's an act of god's mercy to be able to go through his thing again and learn from the past and that's what was taking place here is that they were brought back to this place where there was no water to drink and we can see that by this god was giving his people simply another chance to pass a test a test that they had previously failed and guys the 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 the, the tests of god are are not pass fail our old pastor always used to say this they're pass pass you're going to pass the test it's just a matter of time and since the last time, here's, here's, here's some of the things that had, had changed because we know that, that, that they had been given some things since that last test that should have made it easier for them to pass this test. That God had equipped them because the last time, since the last time they'd found themselves in a place or a camp where there was no water to drink, we see that God had proved to them in that situation previously that he was able to provide water when there was none. And not only that, God even went a step further by saying he was even able to provide food for them when there was none to eat. In fact, God had miraculously done so, not just that one time, but if you remember, every day now, every single day since that, since that um, time when they had first entered the Sinai wilderness, and God had done this previous or every day since then, by, by the provision of the manna, the bread that had come down from heaven. And in light of this, all of this evidence, in light of all this evidence of God's past faithfulness, uh, I don't know about you, but at least I go, I, I wonder why these people, according to verse 2, if you would look there, would once again contend with Moses and demand for him to provide the water for them to drink. After all, when they were in the situation before, God had been the one that took care of it. God provided but the answer for why, and I'm sure you guys kind of have an, an idea for why, is because we're like this, but the answer for why is given to us in the Bible, in Acts chapter 7. 
And in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, speaking about the children of Israel and these struggles that they had and the, and the unbelief that was in their heart, it tells us that the children of Israel did not believe and that they would not obey God because in their hearts, it says, they were turned back to Israel. In their hearts, they were turned back to Israel. In other words, they were guilty of this ingratitude towards what God had done for them and guilty of unbelief because their hearts wanted to go back to their old life, to the old way of life. You know, when we find ourselves in that situation too where there's unbelief, when we find ourselves in this place where there's ingratitude towards God or we're in this place where there's sin in our lives, it's this simple. We want to go back to our old way of life until you get a little taste of it. And the Bible says it's like a dog returning to its vomit and lapping it up. And you go, this is not good. You think it's going to be good. You've been deceived and tempted and going, oh, that's going to be so much better than what God has for me, this good new life that God has for me. And you go back to it and you go, no, it's not good. But it's an issue of, of, of wanting to go back to your old way of life. And as a result, the children of Israel failed once again to pass the test. Now, when we consider this as it applies to our own journey of faith, we can see how every difficulty that God permits us to encounter is also a test that can either make us better or it can become a temptation. Now, hear me. I didn't say it is a temptation. I say it can be a temptation. It can be a temptation that brings out our worst, and the fact of the matter is this is what makes the difference between whether it's a test or, or something that can become a temptation. And in, 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 in the, the determining factor is our attitude. Our attitude towards the difficulty to the trial that we're in is what determines which it will be. And if we start really in that place when something comes upon us and it takes hold of us and going, there's no water here. Is the Lord not among us? If we, if we start in unbelief and blame God, then you know what? then temptation will trap us and it'll rob us of this opportunity to receive what God has for us, to grow spiritually, to know God more, to grow in faith, and to grow in godly character. But if we trust God and let him have his way for us, then the trial, the difficulty, the circumstance that we're in, it'll work for us and not against us. And this promise, as you guys know, is given and recorded in, in Romans 8, 28, where it says that God will work all things together for good to those who love him. But walking in faith is the key to receiving this promise. And walking in faith is the key to avoiding temptation, considering, I don't know about you, but the test which, which most also comes in the form of trial, it, ha- it requires me to look past the circumstances and to look to God and specifically to patiently wait on Him to do the work. I'm reminded of this in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, where it says, My brethren... It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let the patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And obviously, and I read the text here, the children of Israel, they weren't waiting patiently on the Lord to provide water in this situation. Rather, they were complaining. And not only were they complaining, they were busy gathering stones and making this plan to kill Moses for bringing them out of Egypt and into the wilderness to die, right? To kill their children and their livestock with thirst. So Moses did what he had previously done. And in verse 4, it says he cried out to the Lord to the place where his help come from. And there's a stark contrast between 
what Moses did and what the children people were doing, or what the children of Israel were doing. And in verse 5, God answered and he instructed Moses, he said, take your staff and some of the elders and go without the people to a specific rock. We're not told which rock it is. He just said it'll be now near Mount Horeb. And he said, I'll be standing there. I don't know what that looked like. I hope there's like a a DVD recording of it or something, and we can see these kinds of things actually take place when we get to heaven. And I'm sure it's probably greater technology than that, but MP3, right? Um, Then Moses um, was told, he said that God told him to hit the rock with his staff, and then that the water would come forth and and, um, uh, uh, people would be able to drink of it. And, And because... Here's, here's the example, because Moses cried out to God, and then because Moses exercised faith and did what God had said, water came out of the rock, and it provided for the needs of the people and the livestock. And once again, we see how God, who is full of grace and full of mercy, how God, who is full of grace and full of mercy, this is encouraging, that he met the needs of his people even when they complained, even when they were ungrateful. Now, if you look in verse 8 as we continue on, it says that it, gets this, it starts to give us this account of this battle that ensued. And, and I, would even, I would even contend that, that um, because Moses exercised faith, because Moses called out to God, not only did water come forth from the rock, but this battle also resulted because of Moses' faith. Because he struck the rock and water came forward. And I'm going to explain that. And it says in verse 8 that Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. Now, if Rephidim was a place out in the Sinai wilderness that had no water, and all of a sudden now there was water, and you have these Bedouins, these tribes of people, these nomadic people that would be interested in water, it makes sense that now Amalek would want to come and attack because they would want the, the water, Right? And so we see again that God's in control of all of this. And so, in a, but, but in addition to facing the trials on this journey of faith that involved the necessities of life, you know, the children of Israel needed these things, the food and the water, we also see from the second half of this chapter that there were also battles that God's people were going to have to fight. Did you know that there are battles that you're going to have to fight? There's battles to fight. There's trials to go through, and there's battles to fight. Remember, as the children of Israel, and this is, this is something new for the children of Israel, because the children of Israel, um, as they made their way out of Egypt, and they made their way to the land of Canaan, to the land that God had promised to give them as inheritance, you know, they had to journey through foreign lands. Okay, If you have a map, you can see that. Um, they had to go through enemy territories, and up to this point, God had even taken them a longer route down towards the Red Sea so that they wouldn't have to fight the Philistines because God said they weren't ready for that yet. And so God took them this other direction, and now in this, in this other place at this other time, they were attacked in an enemy territory. And, and in a very real sense, we see as, as a journey that they were pilgrims, right? They were sojourners. They were people passing through one land, heading to another. But they were pilgrims who were called to be soldiers. That's what we see happening in this last half of the chapter. They were pilgrims, they were sojourners, they were travelers who were called to be soldiers. And once again, we see a comparison between the journey of faith that the children of Israel are on and then the journey of faith that we've been called into as a result of deciding and committing to giving our lives to Jesus Christ. 
And this is because there are many other passages of Scripture, like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, that describes us also as pilgrims, as sojourners, right? As well as many other passages of Scripture, like 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that also calls us or refers to us as soldiers. As a matter of fact, it says good soldiers, good soldiers of Jesus that are called to fight the good fight. And this is because... We, like the children of Israel, we have adversaries like the children of Israel. We have enemies like the children of Israel. Adversaries that must be fought against as we journey in faith through this life. And when we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, you guys know the passage of Scripture, when we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to, to, to take up the whole armor of God, to put on the whole armor of God because we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Because of that, we're reminded that the devil who walks around like a roaring lion is seeking whomever he may devour and because of this, he's our greatest enemy. But here's some more information because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it makes it clear that, that our adversary, Satan, he will use the world and the lust of our flesh to oppose us, to fight against us. So we fight our battles against the temptations of this world and the desires of our flesh. And, and, and in light of what we read here, with the nation of Israel, we cannot forget that just like Israel was delivered from Egypt by the power of God, so have we, according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, also been delivered. Delivered from this present evil world, it says, through the victory of Jesus Christ. And that's key. That's important to the discussion that we're having today because what that tells us is we battle from the place of victory. We battle from the place of victory. The battle has already been won. The, the, the fight has been won. Furthermore, even though the Bible tells us that we're in this world physically, it tells us that we're not in this world spiritually. That this is not our home, right? To be in the world and not of the world. Therefore, it says, don't be conformed to the world. And so in doing so, we're called to forsake the things of our flesh, the desires of our flesh, um, and, and, and we're told to resist the attacks of the devil in James chapter 4. How? By drawing near to God. Now, when we consider the children of Israel and this very first battle that they would face there in the wilderness, we see from verse 8 that it was against Amalek or the, uh, the Amalekites. And when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 36, we learn the Amalekites were descendants of Jacob's brother, you remember that guy, Esau? Hey, Jacob, will you turn the fans to the off position? Thanks. And so we, 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 we see that they were the descendants of Esau, and the Bible tells us that Esau was a godless person. That was the difference between him and his brother. He was a godless person who desired the things of this world more than the things of God. In fact, when you look to the New Testament, it talks about Esau. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It's very interesting. It says that Esau was a profane man. And that's, that, that's a word that's not used in the Bible very often, <coughs> that word profane. And that word profane is translated from the original Greek, a Greek word by the name of 
uh, that is that the Greek word babialis, which which means uh, a threshold. And that's like the threshold that you would go through when you come into a home. Literally, that's what that word means. But in relationship to a person, especially when we look at Esau, what we're being told is, is that a person who is profane, a baby lost person, is someone who is accessible, someone who can be walked on by anybody or anything. And this gives us really a graphic picture of what Esau was like and what Furthermore, what we're like when we forsake the spiritual things of God for the things of this world, for the desires of our flesh. When we give way to the desires of our flesh, it's, it's like this animalistic nature where anybody and anything can then walk on us, take advantage of us, or that we will exchange something good for something Awful, just like Esau, right? He was walked on by Jacob, who Jacob says, hey, brother, give me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of beans. He was walked on. He allowed himself to do that because he desired the things of this world, the things his flesh wanted rather than the things of God. He was a profane man. He was a threshold. I think it's important to point out that there's no record that the Jews ever had to fight any battles when they were in Egypt when we consider this battle here. And all that God had done and all that they'd been delivered from, there was never once where the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, had to fight any battles at all while they were in Egypt. But once they were delivered from bondage, things quickly changed and they quickly discovered that, that they had these enemies that they were now going to have to fight. And I point this out because this is what it's like with the Christian life. In that when we identify with Jesus and we, are, we are align ourselves with Jesus, then his enemies, the world and the flesh, also become our enemies. And Jesus said as much in Luke chapter 12. So in regards to the actual battles we fight and the nature of our enemies, we can learn something from the Malachites. First of all, when this battle is accounted in detail, the same battle in Deuteronomy chapter 25 we're told that when they attacked Israel, they attacked them from the weakest place at the rear of the camp. And, and Satan isn't going to always just come and head on you. He's going to sneak attack you. Your flesh is the desires of this thing of the world. It's, it's a sneak attack. Not only is that, it's said that the Amalekites, they attacked at the weakest place at the rear camp and they attacked those, is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 25, who were tired and weary. And that's why we're constantly told to renew ourselves in the strength of the Lord. And we do so by fellowship in church and by the reading of God's word and by praising God, by dwelling with his presence and in, in his presence and being with him. And that's where this strengthening comes up. It says that he will lift us up on his wings like the wings of eagles. And furthermore, they attacked Israel. Here's the other thing. Right after they had experienced this great blessing, after God had provided this water for them, which was actually the catalyst, I think, for, for this attack, the water that came from the rock. And more than likely, they attacked Israel in order to rob them of the water that God had just blessed them with. And in light of this, we should be aware of the fact that the saints the same way. What does the Bible tell us? That he's not only a liar, and he's a what? He's a thief. And he's been so from the very beginning. And he'll do the same thing. He will attack when we're weary. He will attack at our weakest point. He'll attack when we least expect it. And usually after a time of blessing, and he does so in order to rob us of the, of the joy that God has just provided through the time of blessing. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your rest. 
But even in these times of attack, we're going to wrap it up here, um, Justin, if you want to come up. But even in these times of attack that come often after a time of blessing, guys, even in the times of attack, God will use it for good. How? Because in that moment when you're attacked, when there's a battle, you're reminded that we don't put our trust in what God has given. We don't put our trust in what God has provided. We put our trust in God. Trust in the fact that he's going to continue to take care of us. He's going to fight the battle for us. And this is what we see taking place and what our attention is being directed to in this battle between Israel and the Malachites. And this is evident by verse 11, if you look there, which tells us that Israel only prevailed during the battle when? When Moses' hands were uplifted. And what was in Moses' hands? The, the rod, the staff. It was a, power, it was a sign of God's power. And we read in Scripture that, that about the raising of, of hands, scripturally speaking, we see that it's often done as a cry for help to God, like in Psalm 28.2, but it's also as an outward expression of praise and worship, like is seen in Psalm 63.4. And when you're in the midst of the battle, guys, both needs to be taking place. Literally, if it's one hand, God, please help, and one God, thank you, praise you. The Bible tells us to rejoice in those times to give praise to God. And I think that's what was going on figuratively and, and, and in a real sense. And since Moses held the staff of God up in his hands, he was confessing, first of all, a total dependency upon the authority and upon the power of God. And openly directing the people who were down below and were able to look up to him, he was directing in them by that for them to do the same thing. Put your trust in God. And it's obvious that it wasn't Moses who was empowering Joshua down in the below in the army. It was God, literally the Lord of hosts, the place from where their help came from. And so even though the children of Israel occupied the battlefield for the very first time, they still had to exercise faith. That's the deal. It's a journey of faith. And in the battle, they had to exercise faith and they had trust in God to provide the victory. And because the people under Moses' leadership trusted in God, it says in verse 13, so Joshua defeated the Malachites and his people with the edge of the sword. And so God empowered them, God strengthened them, God used them. Two last things as we close. Um, in the remaining verses, we see that there was this memorial in verse 14. It said, write it for a memorial, this account in the book, and reaccount it in the hearing of Joshua. Um, and then this, this curse is pronounced against Amalek. And when we consider Amalek being descendants of Esau, and Esau being really a picture of, of a person or a part of us, our flesh nature, that desires the things of this world above the things of God, we got to be reminded that this battle that we go on, that we fight against, because what it says at the end of verse 16 is that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Is that, is that this adversary that we have where the Satan tempts us and, and leads us to this place where we, we are ungrateful and we're, we're doubting God is, is this battle against the flesh, the desires of the flesh. It's going to go on. It is. And we're going to be like the children of Israel who struggle at times, who stumble at times. But guys, we have this hope, we have this reminder that one day that there will be this, utter, utter, this, this complete utter destruction of this part of us that wars against the Spirit of God that's within us. This part of us that still wants that old life that was so wretched and sick, and we go, why do I keep going back to that? Why do I keep doing these things? Remember Paul? He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. 
And the things that I, that, I, that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And there's coming a time, there came a time under David's reign where Amalek, the Malachites, were utterly finally destroyed. And it's this picture for us that there is coming a time that these battles that we fight, the struggles that we're in, that ultimately for us is laid up a victory. A victory. But it's just not about the destination. It's about the journey. And so may we journey in faith, together, side by side with the Lord leading us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for the encouragement this morning. I know, Lord, that all of us face these struggles with self and letting people down around us and letting ourselves down and letting you down, Lord. And, and, and not that it's a surprise to you because your word tells us you know exactly what we're like. And yet, God, you're not displeased in us in any way because we're in your son, Jesus. And, and so, Lord, let us remember that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ now, but there is sanctification. And there is this process, God, that you have us in through this journey of coming to know you more and growing us in character and, God, giving us hope in this life. So, Lord, I pray you would continue to do that more and more as we put our trust in you and follow after you, as we redeem the time waiting for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you guys stand?